0: listening to the mousecapades podcast sponsored by two tickets to paradise.net
1: it's that time again my friends time to book your adrs and schedule your fast passes we're going to take you on a trip to the vacation kingdom of the world it all started with one man's dream and boy was that a big dream from that dream, millions of memories and in just as many smiles remind us why we love it so much. So pack your bags and don't forget your magic bands and your Mickey ears because it's time for another episode of the Mousecapades podcast with Nick and Dave.
0: Interested in becoming a travel agent yourself and helping others plan their next Disney vacation? Interested in learning more about Surge 365? How to get paid to travel? Make 1000 dollars bonuses. Or just simply want to book your next Disney vacation with Disney professionals. Well, dream makers at 2 Tickets to Paradise Travel are ready to help you make your wish come true. Contact travel at 2 tickets to paradise.net. Don't dream your life. Live your dreams. Have an idea, question, or want to share your experiences on the show? Contact Nick and Dave anytime. Email them at mousecapadespodcast at gmail.com. Text them at 407-674-0414. Follow Nick and Dave on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Simply search for Mousecapades Podcast. Listen to Nick and Dave on iTunes, Podcast Addict, TuneIn Radio, and Stitcher Radio. Simply search for Mouse. Mousecapades Podcast, now from the Mousecapades Studios, here are your hosts, Nick and Dave. In this week's episode
2: of the Nick and Dave Mousecapades Podcast, we talk with a Disney darksider who has authored plenty of books that reveal the tips, tricks, scams, and stories that Disney just doesn't want you to know about. From cautionary tales of scoring illegal tickets to thrilling accounts of exploring those off-limit areas. Stay tuned. You just don't want to miss this Disney Darksiders interview. All right, Dave, you ready for some news, buddy?
1: What do you got for us?
2: Okay, not much has happened in the Disney universe uh, this past week. No major changes, so sadly... Uh, I do not have anything major to report, but I have a couple stories here that I think that you and our listeners might want to hear. So, in Animal Kingdom, Dave, the Cali River Rapids ride back on May 7th. I don't know if some of our listeners saw this in the news or not, but, you know, it's typical, or not really too typical, but I know you got stuck on a ride when you were in Animal Kingdom, correct? Which ride was that?
1: I was on Everest.
2: Everest, okay. Well, on the Cali River Rapids ride, it stopped for some reason, and no one knows why, but I bet when you were stuck on Mount Everest, the fire department was not called, I'm assuming?
1: Just a 5 minutes deal.
2: Yeah, so the fire department came out to help uh, a family off of the Cali River Ra- Rapids ride, and but they were given no explanation as to why the ride stopped, so I just thought that was kind of humorous, thought it was funny that the fire department was called to get them off.
1: So just one family?
2: Yeah, it looked like it was just one family on the picture. I'm looking at it, and it, there wasn't any water. Uh, they were still in like that straightaway path, so there wasn't a large body of water on each side. They could have really just stood up and jumped off the ride, but uh, I guess they Disney, you know, uh, they wanted to make sure that they got off properly, and they called in uh, first responders to help make that so. So I thought that was kind of kind of interesting.
1: Yeah, I don't know the. Uh that's weird. What I can't think of any other way to get them off, but
2: right. So anywho, I just, I just thought that was weird, and uh, also, so Indiana Jones uh, apparently is having trouble with its ball. Oh man! Did you, did you hear about this one, man? So I the, did not. Okay, so the ball. Uh, you know how the ball at the very end, you know, of uh, the spectacular, the the ball rolls out, right?
1: Yep. So like the best part.
2: So anywho, apparently the ball's been getting stuck. And it's just, it works when it wants to, and I don't know, it's leaving some Disney nerds uh, kind of upset that they're not seeing the whole show, and that uh, they are having some technical difficulties, and I've been reading the blogs here, and the list goes on and on through the past, uh, I guess, couple months, where the ball works sometimes and it doesn't, and uh, some people were... We're giving some news or actually some feedback saying that's why the thing just needs to shut down and and stuff like that. just really isn't helping uh, Disney's climate right now with things that seem to be aging there at Hollywood Studios, you know?
1: What's wrong with a ball? I mean, it's a circle. It's just, I mean, it's a sphere. (laughs) How can it possibly not work?
2: I I don't know, man. Uh, Apparently, it's getting stuck or something and, and it's not working, but it's not really making too many, I guess, fans happy. I mean, I really wouldn't care about it. I mean, a ball's a ball, right?
1: That's right. And it just rolls downhill. I don't see how it could break. That's weird.
2: So uh, switching gears here, I know this isn't uh, – it's sort of related to Disney. Actually, it's a lot related to Disney because we're going to talk about Disney's competitor real quick. Are you ready? Yep. And you know who I'm talking about, right?
1: got be Universal, right?
2: Yeah, Universal. There are some rumors out there. It just dropped. Universal Studios picked up uh, the Harry Potter and Transformers brand. Well, now there are some rumors out there, and it was on a website, Orlando Informer, that possibly Universal Studios is going to be taking over Nintendo.
1: Oh, that's an awesome realm right there. It's unlimited.
2: Right, because you would have all the good stuff, Mario, Zelda, I mean Rygar, some of the old NES games, that'd be kind of cool. I can only assume, right off the bat, Dave, you know, you and I, because we grew up in that generation with the old school Nintendo, and even Nintendo, you know, appeals to the millennials even now, and, and then our children, to be sucked into the universe of Mario Brothers, Zelda, the Nintendo world. I couldn't think anything that would be cooler than that besides going to Disney World.
1: Right. Their parks are so much smaller. Do they have enough space to expand like that?
2: You know, I don't know. And, um, you know, later on in this episode, we're going to be talking to Leonard Kinsey, and he actually brings that up, uh, brings up uh, Universal, how a lot of Imagineers are jumping ship and going over to Universal because they're allowing to be uh, creative and they're getting the budget to develop this type of stuff. So this is just one ticket item. That adds validity to his story, and you'll hear that later on coming up in his episode.
1: Yeah, I hope they just have the space for it. That'd be awesome.
2: Right, so I don't know, but that was pretty much it, Dave. That's all I got. We had a couple funny stories, and not much has gone on this week in Disney, so uh, sorry, listeners. Uh, It's pretty much the same old, same old with the changes and refurbishments, so no major changes have have come this week.
1: Sounds like the lull before the summer storm
2: right no i and yeah you're definitely right i think uh you know disney is changing all the time and we just came out with they actually just came out with a whole bunch of different changes to restaurants and and ride refurbishments and park refurbishments and and this whole avatar thing and now there's rumor of star wars land coming to hollywood studios i think this is the calm before the storm before you start seeing another round of changes coming soon so that's all i got what do you got for us dave
1: all right it's time for a little history
0: we're traveling backwards in time. Right now, we're leaving the world of today behind. So if your imagination is ready, here we go.
1: Starting off this week's Disney history, May 10th, 2008. This was the date that Toy Story Mania opened up at Disney's Hollywood Studios for the annual pass holders and uh, would soon later open to the public. This is one of my favorite rides at Disney World. So I uh, love this ride.
2: Yeah, I have to agree. You know, my son Colin and I, we had a blast on that ride. I can't wait to go back this summer. It's just a good ride for the family.
1: What I love most is that they're expanding this ride to have a whole nother track on it. So the waits from 90 minutes, two hours, two and a half hours are going to go down, and that even makes it better for me because to get the ride this ride more than once would be a treat. Agreed, man. Moving on to the next day, May 11th, 2013. Have you ever seen the movie Brave, Nick? Uh,.
2: Yeah, I've seen the movie Brave. Why?
1: This is the date that Disney makes Merida from Brave the official 11th Disney princess.
2: So that would make her, what, the second red-headed princess on the princess tree?
1: Try and name them all. See what you got.
2: (laughs) Yeah, right. Okay. (laughs) So, Snow White. What comes next, Dave?
1: Nick has a son, so he doesn't know the princesses. You got got Snow White, White, Cinderella, Cinderella, Sleeping Beauty...
2: Well, sleep. Yeah, Aurora. Um, Under the Ariel. You have... Aladdin. Yeah, Jasmine. Beauty and the Beast. Belle. Mulan. What? uh Let's see here. You have Elsa.
1: Not on the list. What? She, but because Merida was the 11th princess. Oh, that's right. That's
2: right. Yet. So, yeah, they haven't come out yet. So, I wonder when they're going to induct her into the Princess Hall of Fame.
1: I'm sure she probably has been already. Yeah. All right. Hopefully it's as right, nice so, playable as the MLB. Rounding out your list, you've got Pocahontas.
2: Oh yeah, Tiana right. for the
1: Prince of Frog. You've got Rapunzel, and that makes ten. Merida making number eleven.
2: Rapunzel, how can I forget, dude? She's like one of my favorites. I absolutely love that movie Tangled. Awesome. Yeah,
1: it's awesome. Mandy Oops. Moore. Just I just heard a Mandy Moore song today, and it reminded me of that movie. Yeah,
2: a good good cartoon, man. If you haven't seen it, listeners, or your kids haven't seen it, watch it. It's one of those just best
1: kept secrets. Moving on, May 12th, 1993, Nick, this is a date that is important to you and I both.
2: Important to both of us, 1993. Let's see here, Disney history, I'm trying to remember. Um, uh, does it have to do with the takeover?
1: It has to do with where we live.
2: Really? Okay, oh, the, the flood of
1: 93. Nope. Oh, Okay. This is the date that Walter Elias Disney is inducted into the Hall of Famous Missourians.
2: Okay. Oh, yeah. That. Yep, yep. And we've seen his bust up in uh, in Jeff City.
1: Sits on the third floor rotunda of the Capitol building I visited every year.
2: Yeah. I'm shocked I didn't know that one.
1: I didn't realize that it was that recent, to be honest with you. I thought it would be older than 93.
2: And we pass by it every year when we take the kids there on our field trip. Yep. Well, you do. I, I used to. But, yeah, I'm shocked that it, I didn't remember that one.
1: Okay, next day, May 13th. This goes back a year before that, 1992. This is the premiere of Fantasmic at Disneyland. For those of you who don't know Fantasmic, it's a 22-minute show. It's got fireworks, it's got live people, it's got fire, it's got music, it's got people in costume. And then at the end, they've got the boat that comes by that's got just about every single Disney character you could imagine waving to you.
2: They need to add uh, that dude from Big Hero 6, the Lizard Man, you know, just shooting the fire right out from his chest.
1: Yeah, that'd be awesome. They need to incorporate him on that boat at the end.
2: Do you know who I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah. The guy that looks like
1: the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man? What? The big white guy?
2: No, Big Hero 6. No, come on, dude. That's Baymax, brother.
1: Oh. (laughs)
2: Come on, you see. You need to start watching your cartoons, buddy.
1: Yeah, I'm in between kids right now.
2: Yeah, yeah, you're right. I have a 4-year-old child, so of course I'm going to be up on all the current cartoons, but yeah, and Big Hero 6, the lizard, you know, shooting a fire up from his chest, I fire
1: the lizard. It's awesome.
3: The fire lizard. Dude,
2: dude, you got it. You totally you totally got to watch that cartoon. It's awesome.
1: All right, so moving on. That was the first of the Phantasmics, and it was to be followed at the uh, MGM later in 1998 because of its popularity in Disneyland. Uh, What I think is kind of cool about this is that when we went to Disneyland this last time with my family, we just walked right by Fantasmic, didn't even pay attention, whereas at Disney Hollywood Studios, you'd have to sit there and wait in line for an hour just to get a seat in the place. And uh, you know, at Disneyland, it takes place right in the center of the park. There's no real way to like rope it off or anything. I'm sure they have preferential seating for some, but uh, we just walked right by and didn't pay attention to the show and got on to pirates of the Caribbean. Like I think we wrote it two or three times during the, during the 22 minute phantasmic show.
2: But isn't that cool? You know, that that's, that is something that's really neat though about Disneyland. And that was something that I thought was really special when we went there. It's so intimate there at Disneyland compared to Disney world. I love how everything is just so close and you pretty much can see anything from where you're at in the park. I don't know. I mean, wouldn't you agree?
1: Yeah, I kind of like the way that that was set up, although we didn't we didn't watch it uh, that night. We did go back uh, on, a, on a night after that and kind of camp out in, in place, and it just, it, you're right, it's like right in the middle of everything. So even though you're waiting, you still can watch people go by and people watch, which is one of my favorite things to do, too, uh, whereas the one at at Hollywood Studios is so secluded that you just kept to sit there and do do nothing. They try and entertain you with the pre-show, but it's not really hardly anything to be entertained with.
2: Right. I mean, I totally agree. I mean, Disneyland does it right, you know, just the way it's set up. Everything's so homey, so intimate there, and uh, you just I don't know, you just really it's a different Disney experience than being at the Parks at Disney World. I can't explain it. Listeners, just go if you haven't been there.
1: That's for sure. Going to the next day, May 14th, 1944. This is the birth date of one George Lucas.
2: Yeah, dude. And uh, I was just reading some stuff online earlier this week uh, with his ideas of the sequels, you know, to Star Wars. And Disney apparently is going a little uh, off the beaten path and, and not really using his sketches and artwork, and design, uh, and storyline, I shouldn't say and storyline, maybe going off a little bit with the storyline, but of what he was wanting to do, he actually, believe it or not, Dave, he had like these uh, sequels already mapped out, and was thinking about um, filming them and producing them. And uh, he decided, you know, to take off and and raise his family. And at the same time, he just decided, you know, Disney took it over and bought it. And uh, there you go. But Disney's kind of going off the beaten path from the original stuff that he had marked
1: down. So did he create all nine of those movies basically at the same time? Like he sat down and wrote all of them at the same time?
2: You know, I don't know if he did them all at the same time. I'm sure a majority of it was developed you know the backbone maybe the skeleton of the whole entire series but individual storylines and their background and where they're from and their planets and the people on their planets or the aliens on their planet and and their background stories it goes pretty deep everything in the star wars universe has has a meaning you know the planet has its own ecosystem and its own
1: yeah, uh, it gets pretty it, detailed. It, it
2: really <laughs> does. So, I mean, he probably did it over a few years or probably even longer. Who knows? Maybe we'll have him on and we can ask him.
1: That'd be pretty sweet. And that, I think that might be one of the reasons why, that, why I'm not such a, a huge fan of that as some other people are, is that it's so detailed that it's, like, too much for me to keep up with. I just want to be entertained. I don't want to, like, have to keep track of every little detail of every little thing that there is. I think that's kind of what turns me off about Star Wars. I love the ideas, and I love you know I love space. However, like that is just too much for my brain to handle for a, for a movie.
2: Do you remember the year I read uh, some Jedi Academy book to my kids in fourth grade a few years back? Yeah. You, you remember? <laughs> so yeah, remember I do. Me telling you how they would fall asleep, they couldn't take it. Like all the boys were all about it. Actually, just a handful of boys, but the girls in my class were like, "Really, Mister Iman, you're gonna you're gonna read us this Jedi book again?" And what it did. <laughs> It told you the whole backstory of the Sith and how the Jedi became who they are uh, to defend against the Sith, and I have to admit, it was so detailed. You know how I'm a Star Wars nerd? Yeah. Even I was kind of falling asleep in it just because it was <laughs> so factual, so much information. Um, anywho, but yeah, that in and and Star Wars, you have to be a complete Star Wars nerd like our buddy from our last podcast uh, to really understand it.
1: Yeah, and not to be overlooked, the Indiana Jones series. Now, that's a series that I can get on board with. I love that series. I watched every single one of those movies when I was younger, and uh, when they came out with the one recently here in the last few years, uh, I was one of the first people in line to get it. So uh, I love the Indiana Jones series, and like when you were talking about how people want that uh, show to go away, I think it needs to be updated, but it would be a shame, I think, if they got rid of it completely, because Indiana Jones is a classic character
2: yeah i totally agree man you know indiana jones i mean that's something that you could actually see happening though in real in real life you know besides the last episode with the skulls um you could really relate to indiana you know especially us being school teachers and sometimes you want to do more you know especially when when you uh you have those long summer breaks that's what indiana did man he went on his own little adventures and uh I think that's cool, you know, Uh, I watch Ancient Aliens, I might not believe in the Ancient Astronaut Theory, but I find it fascinating, and that kind of is like the little Indiana Jones in me, because I watch Ancient Aliens and uh, read up on individuals like Giorgio Tsoukalos, you know, who's now apparently has been deemed the current Indiana Jones of our lifetime, and it's just pretty cool, it's something that could be done in real life.
1: What I want to know is how many people went into the archaeological field just because of Indiana Jones. That would be sweet to have a stats
2: on I bet that. you a ton. I mean there are a ton of people, Dave, that are our age that I, I guarantee you that's the reason why they went into Australia. and to me, that
1: field is so boring, but it's like oh, I no, guarantee dude. you that that's I can what they remember did. as
2: a kid after watching those movies, I'd go out and just dig in the backyard trying to find stuff and I'd go on my own little adventure. Uh, yeah, definitely.
1: Okay, next up, May 15th, 1974. This was the date that Card Walker, president of the Walt Disney Productions, announced that they would be moving forward with Walt's dream of the experimental prototype City of Tomorrow, otherwise known as Epcot.
2: Yeah, uh, and and, uh, I really wish, I mean, I'm glad Epcot turned out the way it did, but Dave, wouldn't it be cool to see Epcot now if, the dream was fulfilled if it really turned out the way that it was dreamt or meant to be
1: and i honestly think that if walt would have lived he would have seen that through and it would have been unbelievable i don't know if it would have changed all of all of what we do but it would have been crazy to live there and i could I just imagine the price tag to get into that community and live in that kind of a place
2: yeah and that's a pretty cool that was a pretty cool idea you know dave let's fast forward and say or actually let's rewind and let's just say that the dream came true and epcot became this city that it was intended to be i think it'd be pretty cool to live there i I like epcot now but put the park to the side and bring out what epcot was really meant to be dude i would be the first uh citizen to live in that epcot city that would be priceless
1: Yeah, the price tag on that would be ridiculous, so I'm thinking that neither of us would be first in line for that.
2: Well, we could sell our blood, you know.
1: (laughs) It would be worth it. It would be worth it, I think. All right, and then rounding out this week in Disney history, May 16th, 1928. This was the date that Walt Disney applied for a trademark for one Mickey Mouse. What year was that again? 1928. Yeah, the
2: best decision he ever made in life.
1: And uh, anybody that's ever seen the movie Saving Mr. Banks knows that somebody tried to buy the mouse from him at one point, and he just couldn't let him go. He says in the movie. So uh, it started right there in 1928, where he made made it positive that Mickey Mouse was his, and he wasn't giving him up. All right. And that rounds out Disney history.
2: All right. Up next, we're going to be talking to the author of The Dark Side of Disney, Leonard Kenzie joins us right after this
3: what if you could travel like a rock star for pennies on the dollar what if you could earn an unlimited number of one thousand dollar bonuses for showing others how to do the same what if we could show you how to become completely financially free and most exciting sexy fun business on the planet perfect because we have all of that with a brand new company that just launched a company with proven management unique and documented technology and perfect timing a product that everybody wants and even dreams about and a compensation plan that pays out better than anything in the industry it's called surge 365 find out how you can be a part of something big and make your travel and financial dreams come true timing is everything and positioning is vital it's your time let's go
2: It's a side of Disney World you've probably never seen before. A secret world of hidden underground tunnels and forgotten parks. I have a secret guest with us that reveals all the tips, tricks, scams, and stories that they don't want you to know about. He gives travelers access to the underbelly of Walt Disney World. From cautionary tales of scoring tickets to thrilling accounts of exploring off-limit areas. In his completely unauthorized guidebook, he will change the way you think about the happiest place on earth. He was born and raised in Clearwater, Florida, and has visited Disney World over 100 times by the age of 18. He has acquired a large collection of vintage Epcot Center memorabilia, and visits Walt Disney World at least once a year, maintaining connections throughout the rest of the year with cast members and Orlando-based friends and relatives. In his spare time, he has published a comic book and written and directed a horror comedy film, which received international distribution. He is also the guitarist in a rock band who appeared on a hit Fox show and released two internationally acclaimed CDs. He has written a plethora of thought-provoking, chilling books, including The Dark Side of Disney, Our Kingdom of Dust, and The Hasp and The Disney Saboteurs. Of course, my friends, I am talking about our guest, Leonard Kinsey. Hey, Leonard, welcome to the show.
4: Hey, glad to be here. This is great.
2: So uh, I did a little research on on you online this past weekend, and I saw that your book, Just The Dark Side of Disney Alone, you claim has sold over 30,000 copies?
4: Yeah, it has. It's, uh, it's been out. i was just talking about this last night to someone. It's funny. It's, it's been out since August of 2011 and it continues to stay, um, in like as a bestseller in some of Amazon's categories. So it's, it's just astounding the legs that this, this book has had.
2: Yeah. And I I mentioned to you earlier, just the cover alone is kind of just thought provoking in itself. And we'll we'll get to that in, in a sec, but, uh, I will say the book was funny. Um, it told another side of Disney that that I really didn't know that even exists, and uh, it just it really satisfied my just natural curiosity of what else lies beneath, you know, the mask of Walt Disney. And yeah, it was just a, uh, it was a really good book. I mean, I know you sent me two other books as well, and I I uh, read one of those and skimmed through the other, and uh, it's just really good information. Uh, just to give our listeners a, a heads up, you know, uh, we're going to focus probably more on the dark side of Disney. And you have plenty of chapters in Dark Side of Disney that focuses on just how to finance the trip to Walt Disney World, um, dangerous and disgusting wildlife areas on property, uh, time saving tips uh, below the Magic Kingdom. Of course, I'm talking about the Utilidors yep. and some off limits areas. Okay. So I got I to gotta ask you a question. You know, I was online uh, internet stalking you over the weekend and uh, <laughs> I saw that you're, you're basically taking a looks like a stateside trip to different breweries.
4: Yeah, I, uh, <clears throat> well, right now what I'm doing is just kind of, uh, doing a vlog where every weekend I try to get out and do something that I think is fun and cool and interesting. And for me, most of those activities involve drinking beer in some shape or another. Um, so yeah, so I've been going around to lots of different places in the mid Atlantic and Northeast, uh, just trying to find interesting drinking opportunities, much like one could get at, uh, at Disney World, say at World Showcase or on the Monorail Bar Crawl, it's always kind of, you know, even that at Disney, that was always my thing, like trying to find new and interesting ways to drink <laughs> in Walt right. Disney World. So I'm kind of continuing to do that outside of Walt Disney World right now.
2: So kick us off, Leonard, if you could just tell our listeners a little bit about your background and how it relates to the Disney parks, Walt Disney, and especially Epcot, because it, it seems like Epcot was is pretty much near and dear to your heart.
4: Yeah, yeah. Well, Epcot Center, you know, it's the the opening days. I was I was there for, and it just uh, it really blew me away. Um, But yeah, I was so I was born and raised in Florida, close enough where we could make day trips there, and we did. Um, We used to get these passes called three season salute passes, where uh, back when there actually was a downtime at the parks, um, like an off season, they would let you come in with these passes and and go as much as you wanted. Um, and so we did. Like, we really would get our money's worth. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I, I just, the parks were like a, like a second home, almost, like a neighborhood playground, kind of. Uh, it was a place that my mom could bring us and kind of set us free for the day and not have to worry about, you know, us getting in trouble because it's a safe place. And so um, I definitely had a, grew up with a love for the parks. And like I said, Epcot Center just, uh, astounded me when I went there, and you know, really kind of, I, I guess, uh, brought out the the nerd in me that that I didn't know existed yet because I was only six years old. But after that, it was just I was obsessed with you know space and computers and and uh, science in general, and and uh, and then so I got older, I became a Teenager, and of course, that the parks weren't quite as exciting as they used to be. Small world wasn't uh, wasn't a whole lot of fun anymore. So, but we kept going there, um, and so I started trying to entertain myself in other ways. And uh, some of those ways involved exploring the the secret hidden parts of Walt Disney World, like the Utilidors, and and just kind of uh, gradually morphed into. To falling in love with the parks all over again, but from a more adult perspective, and that's kind of where the dark side of Disney came from.
2: Did it feel the same? I mean, I can only imagine. You know, I remember when I was a child, first time going to Disney World, uh, especially an individual from St. Louis, Missouri. Hmm. Uh, it was quite an experience as a child. You're just in shock and awe of the whole place, and I assume you know going there so many times uh you kind of got you probably got a little desensitized to that and so you really had a jump start i guess later on as far as when you were an adult is it that you you sought out that same thrill
4: yeah that's pretty much exactly what it was you know it's it's like you've once you've seen everything there is to see 80 million times yeah you start trying to find new and, and exciting experiences that kind of recapture that same thrill that you had originally and um for me, going into the utilitors for the first time was, I was blown away. Like, I couldn't believe there was this entire city underneath this park that I've been walking around on top of for my entire life, pretty much. Uh, and I kind of describe it as you live in a house for your whole life and you've never been in the basement before. And you'd think that was really weird. Um, and that's how it felt. And so, yeah, when I went down there, Just it it really it was incredible. Uh it was a it was an amazing experience that first time.
2: Is that something you thought about for a while as far as, you know, should I take that leap and kind of explore? Or was it just a spur of the moment kind of decision? And also, you know, once you got down to the Utilidors, did it change your perspective on Disney?
4: Um, it was not a spur of the moment thing because this was pre internet and uh, it, there really wasn't any way to f- even find out that these things existed. So we actually did find out through what back in the day was called BBSs, bulletin boards, which were hosted by, you'd actually have to dial in with a modem to someone else's computer and they'd be hosting this thing. And, and uh, it was like these secret chat places, basically. And and someone had posted a, a really crummy map of the Utilidors and kind of, Gave a brief rundown about them. I remember the second we found out about that, we were like, not sure if it was an urban legend or if it was for real. And but we were bound and determined to find out. And uh, and yeah, as soon as we found out about that, the next time we went to the park, my my two friends and I, we spent the entire day searching for like an entrance to the Tildars, and we finally found it. And 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 uh, yeah, I mean, um, once we got down there, it was. I mean, again, pre-internet, you didn't know what to expect. Nowadays, you can you can kind of get an idea of what's going to be down there. But I mean, I was blown away by the scale of it, and also kind of how dirty it was, uh, and how just you know weird it was to see these kind of half-dressed characters walking around, and and uh, just how bustling it was, how much activity there was down there. Um, yeah, so it really, it really did blow me away. I really was surprised by it.
2: Yeah, we had a guest on a few weeks ago, and he talked about uh, the exact same thing where you could have a Disney princess that uh, kind of was like in half costume, um, yeah. sneaking a a, a smoke, yep. you know, and just that image in his head, you know, just, just resonated with him, you know, a side that he had never seen before.
4: Yeah, absolutely. I think I saw, when uh, I see Snow White, like flirting with some guy and was not Prince Charming or whoever, Snow right. White. but it was like, uh, yeah, some random custodial dude or something. And, uh, there was a, I don't know if it was chip or Dale, but there was this big head kind of sticking out of this. What looked to me like to be a big dumpster at the time I, or later on, I realized it was a costume, uh, cleaning bin where they dumped all the, all the dirty costumes. But there was basically this disembodied head just kind of sitting in this huge bin. Like, Whoa. And, Golf carts going back and forth, and yeah, yeah, it's really wild and really impressive, and a pretty incredible feat of engineering. And uh, but n- nothing, nothing like the park above. But, yeah. So, how long did you spend down there? Kind of curious. Um, I think, I, I think we did a, the first very first time we went down. We went in through Fantasyland, right next to the castle, and came out. In Tomorrowland by um, what is now Buzz Lightyear. So it was probably like a good a good half hour because we didn't we didn't know where we were going. We didn't know what we were doing. We didn't know if we were going to get caught. We were kind of scared to death, but excited at the same time. And um, so I actually shot video of that first time down there, and it's on YouTube. Uh, if you go to my YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash Disney and uh, you can see that first thing, and we were so clueless that we were actually asking people down there for directions on how to get out. And uh, and it was funny because they didn't really, I guess they just figured we were uh, cast members, like plainclothes cast members uh, who were off duty or something, and maybe we were brand new or college program people or whatever. Um, they didn't even bat an eye, so it's kind of funny after that we we went down there a lot more and found all the different entrances to it and and did a lot more exploring but that first time was pretty scary yeah
2: oh i bet and i i'm sure the adrenaline set in and it was something you just wanted to keep going back and 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 doing again right
4: yeah yeah exactly i can only imagine uh, yeah and then and then those are kind of kind of the uh the entryways to a lot of backstage areas like behind the scenes for various rides and stuff you can get to through there so yeah it was it was more like um more than the adrenaline it was just exploring you know just finding all this new cool stuff and this place that we thought we had exhausted all the cool stuff from um but it turns out no there was a whole other whole other park basically to explore
2: yeah, which kind of reflects your your temperament with your natural curiosity and you being into science and, and things like that.
4: Yeah, you're, that's exactly right. It's it's it was all about being curious. Um, it was all about seeing cool stuff. Like, how does the stuff work? The stuff that we grew up with that we that we know so intimately. Um, how does it happen? And um, yeah, there was never any there were never any bad intentions involved. We never touched anything or broke anything or vandalized anything it was all about exploring and seeing new things and yeah yeah so we always had the best intentions
2: so you decided later on to write a book and and publish your i guess findings of what you saw uh down in the utilidors and you came out with the book dark side of disney and uh I have to ask because we all know that uh, you know a lot of people say don't judge a book by its cover. But <laughs> in, in this case, this probably grabbed the attention of everyone uh, for a listening audience. You know, It shows a a woman tatted up with Mickey ears, right?
4: Yep. Yeah, anarchy um, Mickey ears. Yeah, yeah.
2: exactly. Th- do you think that played a huge role in the buying process of, of marketing your, your book?
4: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's funny because... I had a vision of what the cover was, and it was really—I mean, it's a simple cover when you look at it. Um, there's not a whole lot of, I guess, design to it. I mean, there is. It's—it's—it's it's, it's a very cool-looking cover, but—but but basically, it came down to to the model on the cover, who's Draven Starr. Um, uh, she's just perfect and really kind of embodied the spirit of, of what we were going for at the time. And, and I wanted someone just like her. And then we were lucky enough to find her. Um, but yeah, you know, that cover, that cover sells the book. And it also, uh, I think it does its job and that it, it tells you very quickly what the content's going to be. And it also is going to immediately turn off anyone who's not into that kind of content. So they're not going to buy the book, which is great. Um, and, uh, you know, all the all the one star reviews I get for the book are from people who I think probably didn't look at the cover before buying it. <laughs> right? Because it's pretty obvious what you're gonna get when you see that cover. Uh, so
2: uh, <laughs> you're yeah, obviously yeah. right. But when I saw the cover, it, it definitely intrigued me, and um, I'm like, okay, so this is, uh, like you just said, you, you know what you're gonna get just by looking at the cover. So I knew right away I was gonna get the down and dirty on Disney.
4: Yeah, exactly, and you know, it's it's weird, but there had not ever been anything remotely like that out there before, um, and especially nothing kind of with the, I guess, the word Disney on it that also featured a you know half naked woman uh, in it. So it, it was it was very fresh, and I guess people are still discovering it, and it's still it's still exciting to people to see to see that um of course stuff's come along since it's dealt with similar uh content but uh but yeah i I think it's hard to beat that cover you know looking back on it it's it's pretty it's pretty awesome
2: yeah you bring up something we'll get to in just a sec there there are a lot of spinoffs and a whole bunch of different other byproducts because of what you've put out sure um how did disney respond to this
4: um, you know, that was one of my biggest worries when I first released the book, like because they're notoriously sue happy, um, or at least they were. Um, I think they got a lot of bad press from some of the legal action that they would take, like they sued a, a daycare at one point for having a, like Disney characters painted on the walls. Um, that didn't exactly do a lot for their image. So. Right. Um, I think at some point they realized that if they sue someone, they're probably going to draw a lot more attention to the, the person or the thing they're taking legal action against than if they just didn't do anything. But yeah, I was, I was super, super, super worried that, that it, I was going to get threatened with legal action immediately and never officially heard from Disney um, unofficially, I've heard a lot of stuff from Disney. Um, a lot of good, a lot of bad. A lot of people there who really hate me. Um, I've got some Imagineers who really hate me. Then again, I've got some that really love me. Um, I heard of a, ma- a manager who bought a bunch of copies of the book and gave it out to his, his uh, employees and said, read this so you can know how to spot the scams that these people are pulling sure uh, so it was almost like a training manual for this guy <laughs> sure um, so so yeah it's been uh like I said unofficially I've heard a lot of good and bad things but never anything official which is great like fine I'm totally cool with that
2: I'm sure you prepared yourself for it too uh, just in
4: case you had any legal action I did yeah and uh, you know I had various types of insurance and um, and yeah I was I was definitely sweating it Yeah. Um, but, uh, but it, it worked out, and like I said, it's been out for three and a half, nearly four years now, so still crossing my fingers. How much research did you do? I'm sure it
2: took years to compile all the info and data to put in your book.
4: It did. I mean, I, tell, I like to tell people it was kind of a lifetime of, of research, because growing up there and going there as much as I did, it was stuff that I would file away, um, and then uh, a few years before it came out, I started compiling like a tip sheet for people, who, like friends and relatives who would go to the parks. And The tip sheet kind of grew and grew and grew, and people would would come back and wow, this helps so much. Like, I had no idea all the other guidebooks I had didn't have any of this stuff in it. You should write a book. And, uh, and Between that and the stories that a lot of my cast member friends were telling me, and uh, a lot of the stories that, that I had accumulated um, Eventually I did have enough for a book And I went ahead and did it But for for example like I've had a lot of people saying well, You should do Dark Side of Disneyland And I, I can't do it Like I don't, I, I've been to the park a few times But I don't know anywhere near enough About that park To even attempt to write a book about it Because I just I don't know it like the back of my hand
2: Sure yeah, I mean, growing up definitely prepared you, you know, for taking this on.
4: Yeah. Um,
2: yeah you know, was it hard for you to write this book, to, to come out, and uh, I guess, did you feel like you were kind of disowning yourself
4: with Disney at all? Yeah, I mean, there was, uh, you know, th- there was definitely the thought that once this comes out, maybe I won't be able to go back to the parks anymore, um, and... So, in, in a roundabout way, that didn't ever happen, but um, two of my good friends uh, who kind of participated in some of this stuff with me and who did some news stories about it with me, who were also urban explorers, they got banned for life from the park, um, from well, actually from the entire Walt Disney World Resort. And I think if I had been around... Uh, As much as they had during that time, I would have been banned for life, too. It's just they didn't catch me. Um, But for better or worse, um, now, I I would say over the past three or four years, uh, I really think the Florida Parks have kind of lost their way. Um, And especially with Universal really stepping up their game, I don't feel as inclined to spend large amounts of money at Walt Disney World as I perhaps would have used to. So, um, I mean, I still go back there. I still, like you said, get back once a year. But um, but yeah, it, it reached a point where Epcot in particular was kind of so depressing for me to walk around that I didn't want to go back there anymore because I just found myself getting angry and depressed more than I was... You know, being happy and carefree, so...
2: Yeah, and that's definitely evident, you know, in your your vlogs that you've put online uh, yeah. on YouTube. You can definitely see that. Did you have any troubles uh, getting the book published? I know various authors, especially, you know, uh, you know, Eric, I know this has nothing to do with Disney, but, you know, the author Eric Von Doniken, who did Ancient Aliens, and uh, he had a hard time getting his book published, The Chariots of the Gods, because it was so controversial. Mm -hmm. Did you have trouble with your publishers? Um, if so, like how many did you go to before finally a publisher said yes?
4: Um, (laughs) that's a good question. I did submit to a lot of agents, a lot of publishers and the stock response I got back is we're not going to touch this with a 10 foot pole because we're scared to death. Disney legal. Um, they just, no one would take it. They, they liked it. They could see that it would sell, but they weren't going to take a chance on it. Um, And So yeah, I got turned down by pretty much everybody and um, I decided to self-publish essentially. Um, So that's what ended up happening. I got together a a good team, kind of did a crash course in in self-publishing. I'd been in a band and we'd recorded and released our own CDs, I made a feature film myself, uh, an indie feature film. So I figured if I could do those things, then I could probably tackle publishing too. So sure. it ended up working out. I mean, the end product turned out turned out good. I was happy with it. And uh, I learned a lot with that and my next book, Our Kingdom of Dust, and it kind of gathered this really great team of people, designers and cover artists and editors, and, and, uh, and figured... Well, why put all this knowledge to waste? Maybe I should kind of start publishing other people who are writing similar content who are also not able to get published because of of the the content. And so that's when I started Bamboo Forest Publishing and ended up publishing other um, kind of offbeat, alternative-oriented Disney books.
2: Going back real quick to what you were saying about you know Universal Studios and, and Disney getting a little comfortable, I totally agree with you. I, I you know just last podcast. Uh, the other host and I, who, who's not here today, I'm flying the ship solo. Um, he, uh, we were talking, we were talking exactly about that, Leonard. How we feel Disney has become comfortably numb in uh, greed and, and money, and um, at least that's my thought. Uh, as far as just keep the money coming in, not not doing too many changes. I mean, they're changing all the time, but not just these major changes, but two major changes that are coming up to compete with Universal Studios, which is just right down the street. You know, and obviously Universal has Transformers and Harry Potter. You know, uh, Disney announced that um, Avatar Land and the mm-hmm. rumor of Star Wars Land. You know, at Hollywood mm-hmm. Studios. Uh, so they're they're stepping it up, but I gotta say they're kind of behind the game right now and, and almost too late.
4: Yeah, and you know the bigger there's a bigger problem related to that, which is that they're really when they de- when they decide to go ahead with a project, the budgets. For those projects weren't nearly what they used to be and so the Imagineers come up with these great ideas and having, end up having to cut them back to next to nothing, which as an artistic person is extraordinarily frustrating. And then of course they get blamed, the Imagineers get blamed for the, the poor final product um, and, uh, and when really it's not their fault. They've been constrained by the budget. So a lot of the talent that was in Imagineering has jumped ship and gone to Universal um and where they can have all the money they want essentially to work with and also get a project done in in less than a year um yeah. so yeah so it's it's actually you know it's actually even worse than disney just not just not doing as much as universal it's that they uh, they've lost a lot of the talent that they used to have so it's it's Pretty sad, actually. Yeah, it's it's a bummer.
2: Tell me a little bit about uh, the concept of someone creating a documentary based off of your book. I know mm-hmm. online I was watching some videos of an individual who is who created a documentary based off of your book. How do you feel about that?
4: Yeah, that's um, that's Philip Swift. He's a uh, he's a documentary filmmaker, and he made a a film called The Bubble, which was about Celebration, Florida, the the Disney town, um, and course, that subject always fascinated me, so I've watched his documentary, obviously, and I, I really loved it. It's It was super professional and really even-handed. Um, he kind of let the residents talk for themselves and didn't really interject his own point of view into it. So I was, I was a fan of him. Um, I've been a fan of him for a while because of that. And so uh, he was looking for ideas for his next project and came up with the idea of doing the dark side of Disney. Essentially, looking at the book as a series of challenges uh, to to do, and also exploring the kind of fans that I, basically exploring people like me, who adult fans of Disney who kind of don't do it the way that they're supposed to do it. Right. Um, so he came to me with this idea, and I said, um, I said, you know, I'm not going to be involved with you. Doing all these things, going in the utilitores, stuff like that, and uh, possibly getting banned for life um, because I don't want to be responsible for that. And I'm kind of out of that game now that I'm, you know, doing this publishing business and sure. trying to stay on Disney's good side. Um, but I said, you know what? You are more than welcome to go ahead and kind of use the intellectual property that I've created, um, and um, and you know, I, I just had certain things like. If you're going to do this, you have to make it abundantly clear that you are not promoting this kind of behavior that, you know, I don't want this film spurring a whole bunch of copycats and people getting in trouble. So you have to say, like, you know, don't this stuff can get you into major trouble. Right, and he was cool. He was sorry. cool with that. Yeah, he was totally fine with doing that. Um, and it, and what he said to me is I'm going to come at this with the same sort of even handedness that I came at the bubble with. Um, so it's not going to be an exploitation thing. It's not going to be a shock value thing. It's really going to be an exploration of this certain subset of Disney fandom, um, who kind of, you know, is obsessed with, with the dark side of Disney. And, um, and so, yeah, I gave him the go ahead for that, but I'm not involved in it financially. Um, I don't, you know, really, I have, I guess, final say over editorial content, but I'm not involved with, uh, the, what he's actually doing. So, um, but it's cool. It's super cool. I can't wait to see it. It's going to be amazing.
2: Yeah. So you don't condone any of that behavior as far as going right. down into, yeah, understand. And also, you know, I'm sure this book and other videos has spun off, you know, other people try to emulate that and post their stuff online. I could definitely see individuals after reading this book and seeing, you know, the stuff you've published online, trying to do it themselves. And, uh, you make yeah. it uh, you make it loud and clear. You know you don't condone any of that, and you, you tell them you know not to because, from what I've read and from what I've heard from you on your YouTube videos and things like that, the cameras are everywhere now after nine eleven,
4: and a lot yeah. of your stuff
2: was pre nine eleven, correct?
4: That's right. Yeah, nine eleven really changed the game uh, when it came to this sort of thing, um, and uh, yeah, you just can't you can't really mess around at Disney like you used to be able to. You now that said, a lot of the a lot of the things that I have videos of are recent, but they're, they're also a lot more innocent. For example, going up to the the abandoned image works up in Imagination um, or going backstage in Mexico. Thing, things like that, which which I did do. Um, and it's kind of like... I'd almost... My thinking was like, I'll do it knowing that I'm going to do it right. I'm not going to steal anything. I'm not going to damage anything. And anyone who is curious about this sort of thing, they can watch my videos and hopefully their their curiosity will be satiated and they won't have to go do it themselves um, because, yeah, you're right. There's definitely concern about just total idiots doing kind of copycat sort of things and just destroying property or you know, stealing props or things like that. And that's totally, I try to make it very, very clear that that is not what this is about. Um, And uh, I also make it very clear in the book that, you know, people save up for years to afford a a Walt Disney World vacation. And the worst thing you can do as a as a darksider um, is to ruin their their vacation with your silly escapades. Um, So I really kind of have like a do no harm, a do no harm policy where uh, where you know, go ahead and. Explore, go ahead and do that stuff, but not at the expense of someone else's good time. So that's really important.
2: So yeah, let's. You know, you brought up your book again real quick, and let's go. Let's go back into your book. I want to dive into what I thought was the most interesting, and and the different tricks and hacks when visiting the parks. Mm -hmm. For some reason, you know, I just never thought of. You talk about the refillable mugs and a microwave. Can you Uh elaborate on that? Because that was just very interesting to me. Something so simplistic. But yet, I, I was like, oh yeah, that probably would work.
4: Yeah, well, the refillable mugs have um, RFID chips on the bottom of them, just stuck to the bottom of these of these uh, mugs, or the now they have the, the cups even, the paper cups and some of the resorts have them. Um, so they basically track how much soda you get, and uh, if you try to fill up your mug multiple times in a short period of time, it, it won't let you, it'll just stop you from doing it. The idea being that you you're not going to fill up your mug and dump it into another cup and give that to the person you're with. Fill up your mug again, give it to someone else. Fill up your mug again, now I've gotten three sodas for the price of one refillable mug. Uh, but but it turns out that these things are extremely sensitive to being put in a microwave. So you you stick in a microwave for a few seconds and you've essentially destroyed the chip, and then the the RFID doesn't simply doesn't work anymore. Um, and so you, of course, what happens when when you do that? Well, you know, the cast members, you go tell the cast member and they're going to uh, basically give you give you free soda so you can uh, they'll unlock the machine so that 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 it's not doing that anymore. It's funny. There's like this one key on the side that they can turn and then it no longer needs the uh, the RFID chip to dispense the soda um, or they'll give you another cup or they'll. Uh, yeah, reset it or, you know, there's, there's various things. But, you know, being at Disney, the second there's trouble, they're there to please you and to make things right. So right. you can easily disable this chip just by sticking it in the microwave for a few seconds.
2: And I'm going to try that to be completely honest with you.
4: Yeah, I'm let just, me know I'm, what happens.
2: I'm curious. <laughs> well, yeah. you know what, you know what happens, right? <laughs> oh, I
4: do. I'm just always interested in the story. You know how, how it plays out, how the cast members handle it. Like those sort of things are super interesting to me. Was well,
2: this something you came up with, or was this something you you heard about, or a friend did by accident, or what?
4: How did um, you come by this? Yeah, it was something I'd heard about um, someone doing by accident. Um, because what they I, I think they put hot chocolate in their mug, and um, the hot chocolate had gotten cold. And so they went to microwave it at the food court at one of the resorts and realized after that that the chip didn't work anymore. So yeah, yeah. And I'm, I imagine that happens all the time, which is why it's a hack that actually works, because cast members have to get multiple requests a day of this of this happening. So yeah.
2: any, any other hacks or tricks involving the resorts or, I don't know, tickets like you describe in the book?
4: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> one of my favorite ones that I still continue to do just because it's completely harmless is um, they've they've become known now as Kinsey Fries. Um, so when you go to Pago Spills or uh, Cosmic Rays in the Magic Kingdom, um, you can order a thing of fries, which I think is like a buck fifty now. Um, and it comes in a cup. So I always ask for a plate, uh, like a paper plate to go along with it. So I get a cup of water, a thing of fries. And then I'll dump the fries out onto the plate and then go to the toppings bar. They have these free toppings bars that have sauteed mushrooms and sauteed onions and cheese and like all this great stuff. And I'll just dump a whole bunch of it on top of these fries. And you've got this massive, huge meal for really good tasting meal for a buck fifty. It's like the best deal of like any meal that you can get in Disney parks. And it tastes great. So that's that's one of my favorite tricks
2: should you stay away from like the ticket huts that you see outside the
4: parks um, yeah definitely it's those are getting harder and harder to um, to to basically use those resale tickets especially with um, like the magic band stuff that they have now because um, you know someone someone else's name is linked to them essentially these days um, in the past, you would go and you could buy a resale ticket that maybe had two or three days left on it. So say someone buys a seven day ticket, but they're only there for five days or four days, but they bought it because it was only two dollars more than than the four day ticket or whatever. Um, So they can go and sell that, sell those extra days at one of these resale places. And it used to be if you could tell the people at the gate or at customer service, which parks you'd been to on which days that were used on that ticket, they are like, oh, okay, well, this must have been the person who, who had this ticket. We'll just reissue another one. So it, that's the scam used to kind of work. Um, even then, it was still sketchy. Um, now it's like super sketchy um, just because, like I said, everything's tied to the My Magic Plus uh, stuff. So, if you, <laughs> I mean, if you want to try getting your Fast Passes, it's all attached to your ticket or to your Magic Band. And when you've got someone else's ticket, it's just not really going to work. So, yeah, I would avoid those those resale places, but that said, um, nothing's stopping you from buying a seven-day ticket for a buck or two more than a four-day, and then going and selling those extra days because that's a pretty easy way to make you know twenty twenty bucks. Sure. Uh, so, so that side of the scam is still you know easy pickings, uh, but uh, it's up to you whether you want to you know go out of your way to, to go to one of those places to sell your ticket.
2: And you also talk about. You know the trading, uh, the little trading pin scam,
4: yeah,
2: yeah <laughs> that you talk about. Now I have a, uh, a friend of the family who who collects those pins like crazy, and uh, but you dig a little deeper, and I thought it was hilarious, um, and I'll admit, hilarious and sad at the same time, uh, right? <laughs> but very interesting. You you buy pins online, right? Or yeah, on eBay, and then. What do you do with them at the parks? Can you tell the listeners what you do at the parks?
4: Well, I mean, first of all, I think the whole pin trading thing is just ridiculous. Like, I de- people get obsessed with it. Um, they do. And I never got the appeal, um, and I find it kind of annoying, actually, to be honest. Um, but yeah, you can you can buy these counterfeit pins off eBay by the bag. Um, just they're counterfeit pins from China. Who knew? Like. That they, that was even a market for counterfeit Disney pins from China, but yeah, you can buy these huge bags of them for a few bucks, and and then essentially go and take these pins and trade them for for real good pins um, in the parks because I guess the cast members um, have to trade with you if you ask them if you see a pin on their lapel right. that you really want that you they have to make that trade so you can get some really good actual nice pins for the price of. Well, nothing for pennies on the dollar, essentially. Sure. Yeah.
2: And so I'm not really into the whole pin trading business, you know, at like the parks. You talk about in your book the hidden Mickey pins. Mm-hmm. Is that like the ultimate
4: pin? I, I can't even keep up anymore with them. It's so funny how kind of random the ultimate pin is. Like, I don't know how people decide oh okay this is the one that's super rare and that we've got to have but yeah there's there's hidden mickey pins and there's limited edition like uh mickey dressed up as this character pin that that no one has and i don't know it seems like a lot of effort to and i I know people who just go like i I had a friend who brought uh their daughter to the park she didn't want to ride any rides all she wanted to do is trade pins all day and that blew my mind. It, it, yeah, I find it ridiculous.
2: Yeah, and consume all the money. <laughs>
4: from yeah, the, exactly. From their
2: parents, I just want to ask you uh, real quick before we go. Um, can you recount the night when you and your friends traveled to Discovery Island?
4: Um, you were there, correct? No, no. So that, that was you. That's one that I didn't do.
2: Oh, I thought um, you were there. Okay.
4: No, that was a uh, that was a guy by the name of Shane Perez who okay. I interviewed in the book. And uh, and he does give a, a really good account of uh, of his night there, in uh, at Discovery Island, where they basically kind of they swam across you know this gator and snake infested waters in the middle of the night to Discovery Island, and took some really gorgeous pictures of it. Um, and then I another friend of mine, a guy named Nomius, who actually got banned for life. He uh, he borrowed he puts that in quotes borrowed right, a boat. Right that he found on the shore by river country well he did he, he gave it back he, he did he gave it back That's borrowing <laughs> but uh but yeah so he he borrowed a, a disney boat and went over there and took a lot of beautiful pictures and there's some weird stuff over there there's some weird creepy stuff on discovery island i mean it's it's an abandoned zoo essentially um and but there's still a lot of like it seems like there's some of the birds and stuff that that were on the island are or, or still there and Lots of buzzards and weird things like that. There's snakes and jars sitting in there. And um, it looks like they just kind of up and just left the place one day. Um,
2: Yeah, it looks like a war uh, zone almost. Yeah, like if uh, if someone did a a documentary on Chernobyl.
4: Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what it looks like to me too. And and I find that pretty fascinating that uh, Disney would have what what was essentially a theme park that they just abandoned and let – get overgrown and destroyed and and river country's the same way you, there's people who've been back there adam the woo and and nomius and it was a water park and they just kind of they didn't excavate it or tear things up they just let it be and now it's nature has had its way with it
2: you know Nomius should have left uh, a trading pin on the bench and uh, in the boat <laughs> i think it would have been all good
4: <laughs> yeah <That's
2: laughs> hey up. leonard uh how can people find your book?
4: Um, well, it's uh, it's everywhere that books are sold. Uh, Amazon, and uh, if you want the the uh, ebook edition, you can get on on iTunes and uh, Barnes and Noble, Kobo, Kindle. It's it's available everywhere. Um, you can also get signed copies um, from the Bamboo Forest website, which is bambooforestpublishing.com, dot com, and uh, I'll personally inscribe it for you. Um, and uh, and yeah, yeah, that's the best place to get them.
2: Well, I just want to say thanks for taking your time out of your schedule today and chatting with me. Uh, honestly, you've been very insightful. It's been very interesting and revealing. And uh, you're probably waking up a lot of people right now. You know, once they hear <laughs> this, uh, they'll be woken up. You know, it's it's very interesting, very fascinating.
4: <laughs> well, that should be interesting to see uh, what kind of emails I get then going forward. But um, yeah, good. Well, I'm, I was glad to be here, and it was a good conversation. Thank you.
2: Yeah, thanks a lot, bud. Appreciate it.
0: Interested in becoming a travel agent yourself and helping others plan their next Disney vacation? Interested in learning more about Surge 365 how to get paid to travel, make $1,000 bonuses? Or just simply want to book your next Disney vacation with Disney Professionals? Well, Dream Makers at Two Tickets to Paradise Travel are ready to help you make your wish come true. Contact Travel at two tickets to paradise.net. Don't dream your life live your dreams have an idea question or want to share your experiences on the show contact nick and dave anytime email them at mousecapadespodcast at gmail.com text them at 407-674-0414 follow nick and dave on facebook instagram and twitter simply search for mousecapades podcast listen to nick and dave on itunes podcast addict tune in radio Stitcher Radio. Simply search for Mousecapades Podcast.